Proverbs chapter 11. My name is Wade. I'm the pastor here. And we are working our way through the book of Proverbs, which is all about wisdom. So we're calling it Walking in Wisdom. And we've made it to the 11th chapter. And we've talked about a variety of issues as we walk through this book. And tonight we're going to talk about wisdom versus wickedness. Wisdom versus wickedness. Not that they are uh, in conflict with one another, even though they are, but we're going to look at the advantages of wisdom versus the disadvantages of wickedness so that we will be equipped to make a wise decision and choose wisdom over wickedness. That's what we mean by the phrase, the title, wisdom versus wickedness. Now, before I pray, uh, I just want to remind you, this Sunday, we are starting the book of Colossians, line by line, verse by verse, and uh, I just can't wait to get started. I've been studying uh, for a time now, and I'm ready to get going. I'll just go ahead and tell you, we're not going to get past verse 2 uh, this Sunday. Maybe not even past verse 1, I'm not sure yet. I mean, there's a lot of stuff there, a lot of stuff. So we're going we're gonna to go pretty slow through it, but it's okay. We've got plenty of time, Lord willing. He doesn't return, and we'll just keep on digging into the book of Colossians. We're calling the series uh, Rooted, Growing, and Fruitful. Rooted, Growing, and Fruitful. And so you'll hear more about that on Sunday. But I hope you'll be here and plug in. I'm asking God to do great things in the life of our church through that study, that he would really help us to, to grow as a, a faith family and maturity and, 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 and uh, our um, wherewithal to glorify and honor Christ. So that starts this, this Sunday. So just be, uh, just be aware of that. If you notice, if you've been driving by the, the building, you see there's some things happening now. There's some, some big things on site, some big machines on site, and they've been moving some dirt and, and those sorts of things. And so... Uh, we're excited to get the ball rolling on that. So we've got a construction schedule, and they are working the schedule. So uh, just be in prayer for the expansion project. Uh, the estimated date is to, to be in it uh, is January. So hopefully it'll go quicker than that. We're hoping it will. Uh, weather a, is a factor in all of that. But, but we should be in it by January, and so we are excited. And we think we're going to be able to, to get to the end of the project without disrupting our Sunday worship in here. So we don't think we're going to have to take any Sundays uh, off in terms of going to another location. We would just throw up a tent or something or go, I don't know what we would do. But we don't think we're going to have to do that. We don't think. Now that could change. Uh, definitely could change. And so if, if we can't meet in here on a Sunday morning, then we'll just, like, like I said, we'll have a tent revival or do something. But we will worship regardless. So just be aware, that's ongoing, can't wait to uh, see the space is going to provide for us, and we'll go to two services, and it's just going to be a neat, neat thing in the life of our church, so I can't wait. Proverbs chapter 11, let me pray for us, and then we will jump right in to this chapter. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your goodness and grace and mercy and love. We thank you so much for your presence here and we thank you so much for your word, Lord, that you have given us truth with no mixture of error that we can build our lives upon, that we can build our families upon, build our ministry as a local church upon. We're just so grateful for the word of God. And I pray that you would use the word of God in our lives by your Holy Spirit, that you would change us, that you would transform us, that we, we really would be different, Lord, when we leave this place uh, tonight. We'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Got some of our youth in here. Our, uh, we have youth camp going on this week, and so those that uh, weren't able to be a part of that are, are here, are meeting with us tonight. So welcome. Glad to have you. 
folks are usually upstairs, you're downstairs. So I'll just go ahead and tell you guys, there's a lively crowd down here. So just, just, just hang on. Hang on, all right? It's gonna, it might get kind of crazy in here. Just be, be, be ready for that. I want to give you a, a forewarning. So Proverbs chapter 11. What I want to do is I want to give you a series of contrasts. Uh, the writer of Proverbs here, which is Solomon, these are just various Proverbs of Solomon, uses the, the, the literary device of contrast to make a point. He shows us what this looks like versus what this looks like, and the, the outcome should be obvious to anyone that reads it. And so I want to give you these four contrasts and walk through them, and then we will uh, pray together, and then we'll be through uh, tonight. First of all, the wise experience true security in life. The wise experience true security in life. By contrast, the wicked are headed for destruction. The wicked are headed for destruction. Look what it says there in verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So he's talking about those that use trickery or fraud to get something they want, or, or, or people that are dishonest in the marketplace. They use weights that are not accurate. When pride comes, and comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright, the righteous, will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will what? Destroy them. And then it says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way. You want, you want your way smooth in life? You need to follow the Lord. Be righteous. But the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. How many of you know that, that many times our trouble is brought on by our own foolish decisions? You ever gotten in some trouble brought on by your own foolish decisions? That's what he's saying. If you choose to live a wicked life and you choose to live by foolishness, you're going to fall by your own foolish decisions. The righteousness of the upright, verse 6, will deliver them. They will be delivered. They will be secure. They will have security in life. But... The treacherous will be caught by their own greed. When a wicked man dies, his expectation will perish, and the hope of strong men perishes. The righteous, here it is, is delivered from trouble, but the wicked takes his place or enters his place. So he's saying it's going to turn out better for the righteous when it's all said and done than it does for the wicked. Now look in verse 19. Skip down to verse 19. And again, these are various Proverbs kind of strung together. I told you these are pearls on a string. Sometimes they're related, sometimes they're not. And so you kind of pick up the themes throughout chapters. And this theme of true security for the righteous, the wise, and destruction for the wicked is found in verse 19. Look what it says. He who is steadfast in righteousness, that means living the way God wants you to live. He who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life. And he who pursues evil will bring about his own death. That's pretty clear, right? And then look in verse 21. Assuredly, the evil man will not go unpunished, but the descendants of the righteous will be delivered. So the evil, will, 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 they will be punished. But there's deliverance, there's security, there's salvation for the righteous. And then look in verse 23. The desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. In other words is not going to turn out for the wicked person. The wicked person that does not repent and turn to the Lord in his way is headed for trouble. And then it says in verse 31, 
If the righteous will be rewarded in the earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? In other words, God is going to settle accounts. There's some similar type verses found in chapter 12. So what we learn from those is this. The wise experience true security in life. The wicked are headed for destruction. Now there's an interesting psalm. I want you to read when you have time. Jot it down. Psalm 73. And it's interesting because what the psalmist is thinking about is, is the same thing that we've all thought about. We've all had the thought that the psalmist in Psalm 73 is sharing. He's writing down. And here's what he says in a, in a thumbnail. He says, he says, you know what? I look around and I see people that don't love the Lord. They're wicked. They're ungodly. And yet, they are prospering. I mean, they're living the good life. They're living, they, I mean, they're having fun. Everything looks great. And over here, I'm trying to serve the Lord. I'm trying to be faithful. I'm trying to be godly. And my life is full of trouble. And the psalmist is, is, is really struggling with this. You know, I'm trying to do the right thing, and I'm going through difficulty. These folks are here doing the wrong thing, and man, it looks like they're having a ball. Everything's going great for them. How do you handle that? How do you walk through that dilemma? Because let's be honest, if we look around in our society, we can find some unrighteous folks that seem like they have it all, right? They have it, they have it all. We think, man, why are, they, why are they experiencing such great prosperity when they are so ungodly and wicked? But then in Psalm 73, the psalmist says, I was troubled by this, listen, until I went to the temple. And he said, I went to the temple to worship. So he got his focus on the Lord, on eternal realities. And he says in Psalm 73, read it when you have time, he says, then I discerned their end. In other words, he said, I saw those folks that were ungodly, unrighteous, living it up, but then I realized when I got my focus on the Lord that when it's all said and done... Their end will be destruction. Their end will be God's wrath. Their end will be eternal separation from God. And so the psalmist says, basically what he's saying is this, when I worship, I learn not just look at the here and now, I learn to look at my life and the life of the ungodly from an eternal perspective. And when you look at it from that perspective, it really does pay off to follow the Lord, right? I mean, Folks may look like they have it all now, but if they turn their back to God and live a wicked life and do not receive a salvation, when they die, they will experience the everlasting destruction and punishment and wrath and torment of hell. Right? And so we've got to realize that the wise experience true security in life, because we know we've got the Lord, He's got us. No matter what comes our way, we're in His hands. But the wicked are headed for destruction. Even if they look like they got it all figured out, even if they look like, like they're having a ball, the wicked are heading for a terrible end if they don't get right with God. And that's what the writer of Proverbs, that's what Solomon is saying. So, w wisdom versus wickedness. The wise have real security in life. The wicked are headed for terrible things. Number two, the wise positively impact others the wicked negatively impact others the wise positively impact others in contrast the wicked negatively impact others so do you want to make a difference do you want to touch people's lives do you want to be a positive force for good in this world live according to god's wisdom 
Because if you ignore God's wisdom and do your own thing and live according to wickedness, you're not going to positively affect others. You're going to negatively affect others. You're going to make other people's lives worse with your life. And so let's think for a moment about how we impact others. How we impact others. First of all, we impact others with our speech. In the Bible, speech is a big deal. In Proverbs, speech is a big deal. As a matter of fact, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk a lot about speech, some principles of speech, what comes out of our mouths. But I want you to notice how much of an impact speech can have. Look in chapter 11, verse 9. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. How did he destroy his neighbor? With his mouth. You say, wait, is that possible? I read another sad story today about a teenager, teenage young lady that committed suicide as a result of being bullied online through social media. And she was literally destroyed by the wicked mouths of, of other young people. So yes, with his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. We'll talk about that in a moment. When the wicked perish, there's joyful shouting. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, there it is again, it is torn down. He who despises his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding keeps silent. In other words, he doesn't tear down people with his words. He, he keeps silent. Look at verse 13. This is a big one. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets. But he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. He who goes around as a talebearer who shares secrets, who's passing on gossip, malicious gossip, that kind of person is, is revealing secrets, bringing about destruction. But the one who's trustworthy, the, war, the one that can keep his word and watch his mouth, that kind of person conceals a matter and, and protects people through, through watching his speech. I said this is somebody one day, and they jokingly answered me in a certain way, and I thought it was funny. I said, I want to tell you something, but you got to promise not to tell anybody else. You ever said that to somebody? And he said, I promise I'll tell the person I tell not to say anything. <laughs> and honestly, that's how we operate sometimes, right? Hey, I, I'm going to tell you this, even though I said I wouldn't say anything, but just don't tell anybody else. And then they go tell somebody, I said, just don't tell anybody else before you know everybody knows it, Right? We can destroy with our mouth. We can reveal things and say things about people that are very harmful and hurtful and destructive. And so we can impact with our speech. We, we, we can also bless with our speech. If you read over in James chapter 3, the Bible says that with our tongue we have the ability to, to bless. We can also destroy. The tongue's like a raging forest fire. It's like a poison. You know, it says all that in James. But we can bless with our tongue. We can encourage. We can build up. Ephesians 4.29 speaks of of speech that is edifying, speech that builds up, not tears down. And so we impact people with our speech. We've got to watch our speech. And wicked folks don't watch their tongue. Wise folks care about what comes out of their mouth. They're learning to control that little bitty muscle called the tongue. So we impact with our speech. Also, we impact others with our character. Now look at verse 22. This is a really striking metaphor that he uses, or, or picture he uses to get the point across. He says, as a ring of gold in a swine's snout. There's a 
charming picture. A ring of gold and a swine's snout. So like a, like a, a nose ring and a pig, all right? So is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion, who lacks character, who lacks morals. So he's saying, if you have a beautiful woman that has no character, it's like looking at a, a pig, but he has an earring in his nose. It just doesn't add up. Something that should be attractive is made ugly. And so a woman who should be attractive is made ugly by her character. The ESV Study Bible says about this verse, the attractiveness of a beautiful woman is insignificant if there is a lack of discretion in her character. And so we're just reminded here that character counts, right? Not just how we look, not just you know, how we appear to others, but the way we actually live our lives, who we are, it, it, it counts. Character matters. Integrity matters. I like what Ralph Waldo Emerson said. He said, who you are, listen, who you are speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you say. Who you are speaks so loudly that I can't hear what, it doesn't matter what you say. Your character communicates who you really are. And so we impact others with our character. We've got bad character, ungodly character. We're going to negatively impact others. We've got good, godly, growing character then we will positively impact others. That's how we impact. So we impact with our speech and our character, but also with our resources. Look in verse 24. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. One who scatters, who, who gives out resources. And there's one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. The generous man, watch this, the generous man will be prosperous. God rewards generosity. He's apt to take care of the generous. And he who waters will himself be watered. But, look in verse 26. This is the wicked perspective. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him. But blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. He who positively impacts others. And so here's what the, the, the book is saying. That we can impact others with our, with our resources, our money, our, our, our blessings that God gives us. We can give and be generous and help others. And with that comes blessing. But if we want to withhold help that we are able to give, then we will be cursed. We will negatively impact others. So listen to me. Every week, every one of us impacts others with our speech, our character, and our resources. Every week, every one of us, either positively or negatively. Now, here, here's who we impact. We talked about how we impact, but here's who we actually impact. I want you to know tonight the potential your life has to impact others, who you actually impact in your life. You ready? Number one, we, we impact our families. This impact extends to our families. Look in verse 29. Verse 29. He who troubles his own house will inherit wind. <laughs> and the foolish will be a servant to the wise-hearted. So he's speaking here of those that, that bring trouble to their own household. Now listen to me. Everyone in this room has the potential to positively impact your household or negatively impact your household. And here's a good indicator as to which one is coming from your life. When you show up to home, when you show up to the house, 
Are people glad you're there? Or they think, oh, no. Here comes Dad with his bad mood. Or, or here comes Junior with his bad attitude. Or here comes this or here comes that. Or do you, when, when you show up, are people glad you're there? Or, do, or Listen, does the household run smoother when you're not around? Good question to ask, right? Because our speech, our character, it impacts our household. It impacts our family. And, and, and wise people want to bless their family. Wicked people only care about themselves. And they don't care who else is harmed by their actions. So we impact our families. This impact also extends to our communities. Our communities. Look in verse 10 of chapter 11. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. The city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there's joyful shouting. So he's saying that when a city has righteous people living in it, it is a blessed city. The, the righteous character and actions and speech of those people positively impact the city, positively impact the community. Verse 11, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Wise people, godly people, righteous people positively impact their city, their community. Listen to me. Is Hernando a better place because you're in it? Is Hernando a better place because you live in it? Or are you a harmful citizen? And then last, this impact extends to individuals. Now look in verse 30. This is an interesting verse. We're going to spend some time here. Verse 30, the Bible says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. In other words, righteous folks bear good fruit. They, they bring life to others. Okay? Now look what it says. And he who is wise wins souls. In other words, righteous folks impact others' spiritual condition. They, they address their soul condition. They, they win their soul. Now the word wins there... He who's, who wins souls is wise. That word wins was a military term used to speak of capturing a city. So as if the, the, the writer's saying here, he who captures souls is wise. Takes possession of souls for the kingdom of God. That person is wise. Now implied in this verse is, is that there are souls that need winning. In other words, this wouldn't say that we need to win souls if there weren't folks that had any problems, any any spiritual issues. But here's the reality that we all know. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? There's none righteous, no, not one. So everybody's soul needs to be one for the kingdom of God, right? Everybody's soul needs to be saved. Everybody's, everybody's, everybody's. And once you meet Jesus and he saves your soul, then your job, your role becomes winning other souls. Helping others to experience the life that you have experienced. He said it's a wise thing, listen, to care about other people's spiritual condition. It's a wise thing. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon, great preacher of the late 19th century. Listen to what he says about soul winning. He says, young man, are you choosing an object worthy to be the great aim of your life? I do hope you will judge wisely and select a noble ambition. If God has given you great gifts, I hope they will not be wasted on any low, sordid, or selfish design. Shall I addict myself to study? 
Shall I surrender myself to business? Shall I travel? Shall I spend my time in pleasure? Shall I become the principal fox hunter of the county? Fox hunting was big in England. All right? If we were contextualizing, we'd say, shall I be the biggest deer hunter in the county? All right? Shall I lay out my time in promoting political and social reforms? Think them all over, but if you are a Christian man, my dear friend, nothing will equal in enjoyment, in usefulness, in honor, and in lasting recompense than giving the giving of yourself up to the winning of souls. Oh, he says, it is grand hunting. I can tell you, I can tell you, and it beats all the, the fox hunting in the world in excitement and exhilaration. Have I not sometimes gone with a cry over hedge and ditch after some poor sinner and kept well up with him in every twist and turn he took till I have overtaken him by God's grace and been in at the, the, the death and rejoiced exceedingly when I've seen him captured by my master? Our Lord Jesus, listen carefully, our Lord Jesus calls his ministers fishermen. And no other fishermen have such labor, such sorrow, and such delight as we have. What a happy thing it is that you may win souls for Jesus and may do this though you abide in your secular callings. Now listen to what he says here. This is interesting. He's not saying everybody needs to be a preacher. Listen to what he says. Some of you would never win souls in pulpits. It would be a great pity if you tried. In other words, not everyone's called to be a preacher. And you've heard me say that's a good thing because preachers are weird. Right? Not everybody's a preacher. That would be, that'd be that I'm telling you, that wouldn't be a good thing. All right? God calls certain people to be a preacher, but he didn't call everybody to be a preacher. So he says, some of you would never win souls in pulpits. It would be a great pity if you tried. But you can win souls in the workshop and in the laundry, in the nursery, in the drawing room. Our hunting grounds are everywhere, by the wayside, by the fireside, in the corner, and in the crowd. Among the common people, Jesus is our theme, and among the great ones, we have no other. You will be wise, my brother, if for you the one absorbing desire is that you may turn the ungodly from the error of their ways. For you, there will be a crown glittering with many stars, which you shall cast at Jesus' feet in the day of his appearing. Isn't that good? Spurgeon is saying, there's nothing, there's no thrill, there's nothing so exhilarating as helping someone to find life. Winning souls, helping them to connect to Jesus where they are forgiven of their sins and given eternal and abundant life. There's nothing as exciting as that. Now let me tell you one of my regrets. I had some really good friends in, in high school. And, and I was a believer, I was a Christian. I wasn't growing, but I was a, I, you know, I, I was a believer in Christ. Went to church, and I had friends in high school, literally, that would let me sit there and talk to them for three hours about whatever. They'd hear anything I had to say because they were just my good friends, you know, teammates in soccer and other friends. I mean, I had friends that I could that I that they would let me talk to them about anything. And one of my great regrets is that in those high school years, I never talked to them about Jesus wasn't a part of what I talked about. I, I, I wasn't, you know, equipped and encouraged to really do that, so I didn't. I didn't, I didn't talk to others about Jesus really at all. They knew I went to church. They kind of knew where I stood, but, but I, never, I never cared about their soul and tried to connect them to Christ the way I was connected to Christ. And that's a great regret, a great regret in my life. And I'll never forget the exhilaration the first time I led someone to faith in Christ. I worked for a summer uh, between semesters in college with Campus Crusade for Christ. It was an internship, and 
during the internship, the, the, the young students that were there, they trained them in how to share their faith. They gave this little track called, um, have you heard of this four spiritual laws? And it, it walked through the gospel. And they trained us how to use it. And then one day, they took us on a, a kind of a, a, an evening to this lake in the middle of Orlando, Florida called Lake Eola. And they dropped us off and said, go share this track with some folks. And we were in teams, and that was it. And so we kind of walked around, and, and uh, we saw some, some, some teenagers sitting on a blanket, and we kind of started engaging them. And I got in this uh, great conversation with a young man named Tito. And Tito, he was Hispanic, and Tito and I started to talk, and, and I began to walk through the gospel with him and walk through the track. And, and I said, right, would you want to be saved today? Would you want to make a decision like this today? He went, yeah. And so there on the blanket around the lake, they're having, I think they're having fireworks that night. There on that blanket around the lake, we're sitting there, and I led him to faith in Christ. I mean, right there. And I'll never forget the exhilaration, the, the excitement of that moment to know what it's like to be on, uh, to have a front row seat to see God save somebody. It was thrilling in, in my life. I'll never forget it. And so we, as wise, righteous, godly folks should have a concern for those that are far from God. And the Bible says the wise thing to do with your life is to make sure whether you're a preacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever sphere of life you're in, you need to focus on winning souls to Christ. The Bible says. It's a wise thing to do that. And so there's a couple prerequisites for that. First of all, you need, to, you need to be saved. And second of all, you need to know the gospel. You need to know how to, how to talk about the gospel message. And remember, the gospel has two parts, okay? The first part is the historical event. Jesus actually did something in human history to save us. What did Jesus do? Talk to me. He, he, yeah, he came to earth. He died on the cross. He took on human flesh, and he died on the cross, right? Why did he die on the cross? For our sins. He took all of our sins on himself, right? And then he died, and the Bible says he was our propitiation. He took the wrath of God in our place. The wrath of God that we deserve was poured out upon Jesus in our place. So Jesus took our punishment for us on the cross. By the way, I read an article this past week. There's a, a large denomination in our, in our country that is putting together their latest hymn book, and they're not putting the song in there in Christ alone. Remember the song in Christ alone, one of my favorite songs? And there's a line in there they didn't like. The line goes, In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, uh, scorned by the ones he came to save. And it says, Till on that cross Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. They didn't like that line. They didn't want to talk about the wrath of God. And so they wanted to change it to, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. And they went to the songwriters, Keith and Kristen Getty, and they said, Can we change it? And they said, No way. No way. Do you know what they did? They didn't put it in their hymn book. Because it mentions the wrath of God. Listen to me. If you don't understand the wrath of God, you don't understand the cross. That What was happening at the cross is the wrath of God was being poured out upon Jesus so we would not have to endure the wrath of God. That's what the word propitiation means. It means to satisfy the wrath of God. In Romans 3... First uh, John, it clearly says that Jesus is our propitiatory sacrifice. He took the wrath of God in our place. I don't know how I got off on that. Oh, historical event. So, Jesus died on the cross, and then he was buried. What happened next? He rose from the dead. If he did not rise from the dead, could we be saved? 
No, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if he be not raised, you're still in your sins. Your faith is in vain. Because if he didn't come alive, how could he give anybody eternal life? He was not who he said he was if he could not defeat death. But he rose from the dead. He, he defeated the grave. He's alive today. And the Bible says that Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead. That's the gospel. He did all of that so we could be forgiven, so we could have eternal life. That's the historical event. Death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Got that? But listen to me. Some people know that and are still lost and headed to hell. Because when we think about the gospel, not only do we need to think about the historical event, we need to think about the personal response. Every individual has to do something with that reality, that historical reality. We've got to decide, am I going to trust in Jesus and what he did for me as the only way I can be saved, or am I going to try to save myself? By the way, no one can save themselves. We're all sinners. Our sin must be forgiven. It must be paid for. Jesus paid for it. We've got to receive him as our Lord and Savior. We've got to trust in him, lean on him to have his forgiveness, his eternal life. So we respond by faith and repentance. We turn from our sin and we place our faith in Jesus Christ. When we do that, at that moment we're converted, we're saved, sins are washed away, we're given the hope and promise of heaven. Everything is wonderful. The blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. So you've got to know the gospel. You can't, you can't lead someone to Christ. You can't win a soul if you can't articulate the gospel. And it's, it's, we're not talking about calculus here, folks. Every one of you in this room, if you know Jesus, you can talk about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. And you can talk about their need to turn to Jesus and embrace him by faith as Lord and Savior. Everyone can do that. We're not talking about rocket science here. So you've got to know the gospel. And then... Third, you've got to be saved. You've got to know the gospel. Third, if you're going to win souls, you need to be able to articulate your faith story. The terminology we use a lot of times is, is testimony. You need to learn to share your testimony. And, and here's a tool that everyone in this room needs to have on their spiritual tool belt. You ready? Everyone in this room, if you're a believer, you need to have your story wrapped up in a three-minute package. Because a lot of times you don't have more time than that, okay? You're, you're, you know, you're standing there and, and uh, talking to uh, the guy spraying your lawn, and he's in a hurry to go to the next lawn. You don't have very long. You only have just a few minutes, and so you can't, you can't you know, say, hey, let me go get the CD from last week's sermon, Pastor Wade, and have him stand there for 45 minutes you know, while I'm going on and on and on, right? We don't have, we don't have that kind of time. So you need to be able to share your testimony. And listen, testimonies are really, really easy to, to write. All you got to do is, is have three parts. Jot this down if you've got notes. Jot this down. Number one, you explain to them your life before you met Christ. Just, hey, here, here's what my life was like before I met Jesus. All right? Your life before you met Christ. And by the way, if you went down some really dark roads before you met Christ, you don't go into great detail here okay you, you don't have to give them the ends and i've heard people i've had i've heard people share testimonies that are just i've just assumed they would just be quiet all right they're doing more damage than good they're they're giving too much emphasis to the kingdom of darkness and so you don't want to do that so so but share yeah I, I was a sinner I, I i did this i did that i was lost i was hurting i was hopeless i you know you share your life before you met christ then second part is you talk about how you met jesus You've heard me tell my story. I was nine years old. My pastor came to my house, sat down with me at my, 
dining room table. He walked me through the, the gospel in the book of Romans, and I, I, he asked me if I was ready to receive Christ. At that moment, I prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come to my life to be my Lord and Savior. That was my, that's how I met Jesus. Yours may be different, all right? I've, I've had people tell me that they were saved at a Billy Graham crusade. I've had people tell me they were saved by just reading the Bible. They were just reading. The, I had a friend in seminary. He was uh, uh, soon to be a, a pastor, and he told me, he said, wait, I just got saved. I was reading through the Gospel of John. I said, I need to believe in this guy. And he, and he got saved just by reading the Bible. Think that's possible? Yeah. There's all sorts of ways people meet Jesus. But you've got to tell your story. Here's how I met Jesus. Here's when I was saved. And then the third part is the difference that Jesus made. Here's how my life changed after I met Jesus. All right? And you tell that story. And you, you put it in a three-minute package and I'm telling you, that is a great tool. You, you may not always have a chance to, to walk them through Bible verses. You may not have the time to do that. But you can tell them in a, in a short, succinct story, here's my life before I met Christ, here's how I was saved, and here's the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And if you've got that, I'm telling you, it's a powerful, powerful way. By the way, you can't argue with a changed life, can you? can't argue with a changed life. So... That's how you win souls. You've got to be saved, first of all. If you're not saved, you need your soul to be won. You need Jesus to save you. But secondly, once you're saved, you need to know how to articulate the gospel, death, burial, resurrection of Christ, personal response, faith and repentance, and then you need to be able to share your personal story of how you met Christ. All right? Any, let's stop there real quick for questions. Any questions on that before we go to the next point? Any questions? I, I know I was talking fast. Any questions on that before we... Go to the next thing. What we're talking about here is, is personal evangelism, uh, leading someone to faith in Christ. And you know, I think that we we church folks have made evangelism way too way too complicated. I've been I've been through the programs. I've been through. You know, I've done the EE stuff. I've done the uh, people uh, share Jesus without fear. I've done people sharing Jesus. Uh, I've looked at the faith stuff. I've, you know, I've been through all those different evangelism training programs. And, and it's, it's just really not that difficult. It's really not difficult. All right? Share your testimony. Learn how to share the gospel. All right? If you want help with that, let's come see us and we'll help you. Let's look at number three. We're, we're contrasting wisdom and wickedness. The wise look for guidance. And by way of contrast, the wicked go their own way. Look in verse 5. The righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. He's, 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 he's tripped himself up because he's not getting any input. Look in verse 14. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But in abundance of counselors, there is victory. In other words, if you want to live a, a victorious life, you need to have an abundance of counselors. Wise people speaking in your life. Uh, and this is a constant theme through Proverbs. Turn over to Proverbs 15 with me. Proverbs 15, verse 22. Without consultation plans are frustrated but with many counselors they succeed and look in chapter 20 verse 18 
prepare plans by consultation and make war by wise guidance. And so all over the book of Proverbs, we see this idea that you and I need other wise folks counseling us, uh, speaking into our life to help us to make good decisions. The wise look for this guidance. The wicked go their own way. So let me give you just three principles on this very quickly. First of all, find the right people to speak into your life. Proverbs 13 says that he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Companion of fools will suffer harm. So make sure that you're, you're running around with wise folks. Folks that are growing in their wisdom and knowledge of the Lord. Folks that are trying to live lives of righteousness and godliness and integrity, not ignoring the Lord and doing their own thing. Find the right people to speak into your life. So, as a pastor, uh, you know, I, I, I want to talk to other pastors about pastoring. And, and, and if there's a big thing that I'm thinking through. I, I like to talk to other pastors about it and bounce it off of them so they can give me some, some wise insight. Uh, and, and whatever your sphere of, of, of employment is or your calling in life, whatever God has you doing, you need wise people speaking in your life to help you make good decisions. Find the right people to speak into your life. You know, you know, here at our church, we have, we have numerous, numerous couples that have been married 35, 40, 45, 50, 55, 60 plus years. 60 plus years. That's pretty extraordinary, right? I'm telling you what, if I'm a newlywed couple, I'm, 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 I'm taking these folks out for dinner and just sitting down with them and just hanging out and just watching and learning so that, that their wisdom can, can, can rub off on me. And even now, I want those folks modeling and speaking into my life. So find the right people to speak into your life. Also, seek their counsel and listen to their counsel. Wise people don't do any good if you don't listen to them, right? Seek their counsel, ask them, ask them what they think. And then listen to their counsel. A lot of people want yes men in their life. Like, I'm going to tell you what I think is best, and I want you to tell me yes. And if you don't tell me yes, I don't want you in my life anymore. You ever, you ever known, have you ever been like that? Right? Yes men. But we don't need yes men. We need folks who will tell us the truth. Amen? I mean, folks that care about enough about us to tell us the truth. If I'm at a restaurant with you, and I've got mustard on my chin, I want you to tell me about it. Right? I don't want to leave there with mustard on my chin. You ought to care about me more than that. Tell me I got it. I can wipe it off. We, we need folks that can speak truth into our lives. So seek their counsel and listen to their counsel. Now look at this last principle. Living life in isolation is dangerous. Look over in Proverbs 18 with me. Proverbs 18 verse 1. He who separates himself, isolates himself, seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. I've been pastoring long enough to see, see folks that choose to go down the wrong path and choose to enter into some sinful behavior or lifestyle or actions. And inevitably what happens is they begin to shut everyone, everyone out that's going to tell them the truth. 
and, and they just get distant, and they separate, and they isolate. You don't see them anymore because they're trying to do life in their own knowledge, and that never goes well. Living life in isolation is dangerous. We need folks watching our backs. We need folks that will tell us the truth. We need wise counsel so we can make good decisions. Living life in isolation is dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. And let's look at the fourth contrast here, and we'll finish up. We've said that the wise experience true security in life, but the wicked are headed for destruction. We've said that the wise positively impact others, but the wicked negatively impact others. And we've said that the wise look for guidance, but by way of contrast, the wicked go their own way. Here's the fourth and last thing I want you to see. The wise delight the Lord. By way of contrast, the wicked are abhorrent to the Lord. Now look back with me in chapter 11, verse 20. The perverse in heart are an abomination to the Lord. But the blameless in their walk are His what? Delight. The wise, blameless, righteous, godly person delights the Lord. And by the way, that should be all you need to hear to want to live a a wise life. That your wise living actually pleases and delights the Lord. Look over with me in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, I want to show you another verse that speaks to this. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Therefore, we also have as our ambition. What, look at me for a moment. What's your, what, are you, what, what are you ambitious about in life? What are your ambitions? Young people right now, you're thinking of, of things in the future. What, what are you ambitious about? Look what Paul writes. He says, we have this as our ambition whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Paul says, our ambition is to please God. And Proverbs says, if you want to please God, you've got to be wise. It will not happen apart from that. So if you look there in your notes, we will not please the Lord apart from the daily acquiring and application of wisdom. You've got to acquire it as you're in the Word, around wise people. You've got to acquire it, and then you've got to apply it. you actually got to... Do what the Bible says. Do what God says. Obey Him. Apply those principles if you want to have a wise life. The wise delight the Lord. The wicked are abhorrent to the Lord. I, I don't know about you. I, wanna, I want to delight the Lord with my life. How about you? But it's not going to happen apart from wisdom. So we've seen the contrast, right? We've seen what, what wisdom entails and what wisdom is all about. We see what wickedness is all about which one would you rather be after hearing all that which one would you want want in your life which would you choose i hope you would hear all that and say i choose wisdom i want god's way for my life i want to follow him because that's the way to life and peace and joy and fulfillment and purpose and meaning and impact in this world